secure financial advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. Uh, top of the morning to you. Uh, show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson, Big Al. Two hours of financial planning talk. Are you ready? Are you ready, Alan? I am ready. And you know what, Joe? It's uh, It feels like summer's here now. It's hot. Yeah, it's warm. Little warm. So a couple of our listeners may not uh, be listening because they may be at the beach. And, well, but, could uh, be. Well, they can for, catch the podcast later. Yes, for those of you that are listening, welcome. Happy Saturday. Yeah, happy Father's Day weekend, everyone. Hopefully you are enjoying some special time with friends and family. And you got some advice from fathers, don't you? Yeah, you know, did, did your dad give you good financial advice, Joe? Um. Not not necessarily. I mean, sure. I mean, it was save as much as you can and don't yeah. go into debt. Basically, yeah. is kind of the. I mean, my parents didn't have any money. Right. So it wasn't like so maybe this they told, is the they this ta- is the portfolio that you should have. Got it. So they probably taught you to live within your means. I bet pretty much because that's what they were doing. Yes. By example, I'd say the same for my parents. But this is. Uh, so investment news. Talked to a bunch of different financial advisors and said, "What's the best advice you got from your dad?" And I'll just read a few of them. They're logical. They actually make a lot of sense. Save early and often. And we talk about that all kinds of, you know, all the time. Because this, the earlier you save and the rate when you save regularly, the compounding of growth, income, dividends, uh, makes a huge difference in what you've got to work with in retirement. So that's one of them. That's kind of an obvious one. How about this? Never go into debt. A lot of us are not necessarily following that one. Well, I think sometimes debt is good. Well, it, you can you can call it good debt, bad debt. Good debt is something that goes up in value, like a home, for example. Bad debt would be everything else. Well, if you buy a bond, yeah. you're lending your money well, that's out. An, yeah, true. Someone else is going into debt, but you are the lender. I'm okay being the lender. All right. I just don't want to be the debtor. How about, oh, you, how about but, a mortgage? You don't want a mortgage? Yeah, I think so, because uh, very few people can buy a home in, in Southern California with all cash, so I'm, I'm okay with that. Ten-year treasury, one and a half percent. Yeah. Is that all, all time low or just about? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the, the statistical charts in front of me, Al, but <laughs> I, I would say that is one of the lowest it's been in um, yeah. recent memory. So if you have to go into debt, now is a pretty good time to do it. And, and if you do go to debt, here's the next advice an advisor got from Papa pay debts back early. Yes. Yeah. Save out on interest expense. Live within your means is another one. Plan for tomorrow. And how about this? There's more to life than money. You agree with that? <laughs> yeah, of course I do. Okay. And finally, this is uh, Peyton Manning's father, Archie. He said, never stop learning, which I agree with that too. I think learning is a lifetime process. So dads, thank you for that good advice. All right. So a couple of things I want to get through in the next few hours here is that I want to talk about taking distributions from your overall accounts once you approach retirement, uh, because there's a lot of rules of thumb that people are looking at. Uh, but I want to bring in some clarity here that some people have some risks that they might not be aware of in regards to taking distributions and income in regards to retirement. There's a couple of different strategies that I think a lot of people understand, uh, but they don't understand the consequences that they do it wrong. 
reverse mortgages. We talked a little bit about that last week, but I want to dive into there because there's some different things that maybe people are not aware of when it comes to a reverse mortgage. Should you do it? Should you stay away from it? Are they good? Are they bad? What are the fees and costs? Because I think before a lot of people would call that the last resort if you had to do a re uh, reverse mortgage. Um, Mary Beth Franklin, our good friend Mary Beth, she wrote a few different articles in Investment News. Uh, we can go through a couple of those articles. Yeah, and you know what, Joe? That in uh, 2013, the Reverse Mortgage Stabilization Act was passed, and it actually—I mean, you probably have heard a lot of bad things about reverse mortgages. Well, a lot of those bad things have been, uh, eliminated. been eliminated or curtailed substantially. So, you know what? I'm not saying it's the right thing for everybody, but it's—it's it's worth a look uh, in in probably more cases than you would think. So, it's—it's it's definitely we'll, we'll spend some time on that. All right. Um... I want to talk about the uh, 4% rule. Okay. And what the 4% rule is, something that's called a sustainable distribution rate. And so what this came about was Bill Bangin back in the 80s, I believe, is that, all right, well, what percentage of the portfolio should you be taking out that is sustainable um, in regards to creating income from your um, accumulated portfolio? So if you've accumulated some money, let's say $100,000, and you're thinking of, all right, well, how much of this $100,000 should I pull out of the overall portfolio to make sure that it sticks around for the next 30 years? And there's a lot of assumptions that go into the 4% rule. Uh, but the, the, the basis is, is that you don't want to pull out any more than 4%. So if you have $100,000, you don't want to pull out any more than $4,000 per year out of the portfolio. And it should maintain um, for 30 years as long as you get a 6% growth rate. So the portfolio is growing at 6 You're pulling 4 out. So that leaves another 2 I think the 4% rule is a very, very good tool when you're trying to understand how much money that you need to accumulate to retire. And what I mean by that is that you could say, all right, well, let me do a back of the envelope financial plan. And you're trying to figure out, all right, well, how much money should I have in my 401k plans, my IRAs, my Roths and mutual funds and stocks and everything else for me to feel comfortable of saying, you know what, Mr. Employer or Mrs. Employer, I am retiring. I'm done. I'm financially independent. I have enough capital now where I can create my own retirement income for the next 30 years. So a lot of people don't understand what that number is. Right. I'd say most. Most, right? And so if you use the 4% rule, it can help you at least get you close to that number, such as this. We use this example all the time, but I think it's relevant because the math is really easy to do. So let's say if you want to spend $100,000 a year, that's the goal. That's what you want to maintain as a lifestyle. Then you look at your fixed income sources, such as Social Security, pensions, um, real estate income, Whatever that is. So you you add all that up. And it could be approximations. So I want to spend 100 Then I look, okay, well, maybe I'm married and uh, my wife has a, a small pension. She's got Social Security. I have Social Security. You add up all of those dollars, and let's say that's going to be 50000 bucks. So $100,000 is the goal. $50,000 is what's going to come in as fixed. So you subtract that. You're still short fifty grand. So finding your shortfall is key. You want to look at, okay, well, how much money needs to come from the portfolio? In this example, I need 50 grand to come from the portfolio. So you divide the $50,000 or whatever your shortfall is by 4%, okay? So you look at that 4% divided into $50,000 is roughly 1.2 million. It's a little bit more than that, but I'm just rounding here. So I need 1.2 million 
for me to do the things that I want to do long term. Now, if I have $200,000, it's not going to work. The math does not work. So 1.2 is what I need. So then you look at, all right, if I have 1.2, I can take out 4% out of the 1.2. That's $50,000, and I should be good to go. So that's how people should look at the 4% rule. But when we get back from the break, I'm going to tell you there's so many wrong things about looking at once you've accumulated the wealth, using that 4% rule while you're taking distributions. Because unfortunately, the market does not work in a straight line. You're not going to receive 6% every single year. Some years you're going to get 12%, some years you're going to get negative 3 So you have to take a look at a strategy to make sure that you understand what is called sequence of return risk. It doesn't matter, all right, you could average out 6% over a 30-year time period, but I'm telling you that's the sequence of the returns that you receive each and every year as you're pulling money out from the portfolio that matters the most. And I think most people don't get that because then it gets complicated. It does. And so what we're talking about is if you retire and your first several years are poor in the stock market, for example, it's down for three or four or five years, even though maybe 30 years you would average 6%, that's a lot worse than someone there where the stock market does rather well right up front. And you've got extra growth and, and growth on growth. So that's what we're talking about. And so therefore, your distribution strategy needs to adjust with that risk as well. Because as you say, Joe, you can't necessarily count on a, on a flat 6% rate of return or 7 or whatever you need. Because what we're going to talk about today is really the, one of the most important pillars of retirement planning is withdrawing money from your retirement accounts. And it could be one of those gotcha moments that could cost you thousands, if not tens of thousands, if you don't understand the risks associated with how you're pulling the money out. But you could easily avoid getting into some issues here, some problems and some troubles that a lot of you probably did back in 2008. And then if you remember back in 2000 through 2002 when we had these major market corrections. All right, don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner. I'm with Alan Quilpine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in today. Go to our website at purefinancial.com if you want more information about us, our firm, what we do, and how we do it. We are a fee-only registered investment advisor. Uh, we don't sell any products. Uh, everything is fee for service. Uh, financial Times just ranked us. Did you see that, Al? Uh, Financial Times. I saw Investment News. Financial Times. Okay, I didn't see that one. Yeah, uh, top 300 uh, financial planning firms in the nation. Very cool. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, I missed that one somehow. Yeah, it just came in, I think, on Friday. Okay. Or maybe on Thursday. Yeah. So, anyway, we got offices now. Sherwin Oaks, Irvine, San Diego. Um, a couple more offices in LA coming soon, uh, so stick around for that. Uh, if you want, like I said, more information, go to purefinancial.com or check our um, podcast out too. If you like the show, uh, go get our podcast. Um, for some of you, you only get one hour of the show and the podcast, uh, it's both hours. So if you want more of your money, your wealth, you can always go to the podcast. All right. We're talking about distributions and how to take money out of your overall portfolio. So Alan, so we talked about the 4% rule and what that means is that you don't want to pull out any more than 4% out of the overall portfolio. So people hear these rules of thumb, right? And so what is going to happen is this, is that let's say someone has a million bucks. You take 4% out of a million, that's $40,000. Maybe they have a 60-40 split, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, right? They're hoping to get a conservative rate of return and they're taking their $40,000 per year. Now in up markets, right? 
things are fine. Because let's say the market grows four, five, six percent, you're pulling out the four percent. Guess what? The portfolio is still growing. But we've been in a bull market since 2009. Things are going to turn. And so I guess the question is, is do you have a strategy to make sure that you understand what is going to happen when the market corrects, let's say 20%. So let's use this as an example. The market corrects 20%. You have a 60-40 split. I don't have a calculator, so I'm just going to go off the cuff here. Okay. So let's say, so 60% of the portfolio is going to drop by 20%. Okay. So that's 600,000, 20% of 600,000 is 120 grand. Right. Right. So now that 600,000 is no longer worth $600,000. It's worth what? 480,000 bucks. Right. Look at this map. Yeah, you're right on target. All right. Now you still have the other $400,000 because I started with the million bucks. And I know people hate math on the radio, so just bear with me. So I'm down 20%, but only the equities went down 20%. Maybe I've like treasuries and tips and government bonds, very safe bonds on the other side of the equation in my portfolio. So that's not going to move that much. Maybe it goes up in value a little bit because usually when stocks go down, people freak out. They sell their stocks and they, it's called a flight to quality and then they buy bonds. So that will increase the overall value of bonds just because of supply and demand. So maybe my bond portfolio goes up a little bit. I still need to pull the $40,000 out, right? Sure. So I'm going to pull the $40,000 out. Now, where are you going to pull that $40,000? Well, you're not going to sell the stocks because the stocks are down 20%. So you're going to sell it out of the bonds. So now I'm going to take $40,000 out of the four hundred grand. That's a 10% distribution from the bonds. All right. So now my bonds are down 10%. Now my stocks are down 20%. Do you see how this math is going to work out to the negative for me? Yes, I do. All right. Keep going. So then you take a look at, all right, well, then you have inflation because the $40,000 that I pulled out last year, I'm going to have to pull out next year a little bit more because the cost of goods and services increase. So that $40,000 might be $42,000. So now I'm pulling more money from the overall portfolio, right? The market portion of my portfolio is down in value, all right? The bond portion of my portfolio is down in value. Because you took money because out. Because I had to take money out to yep. live off of. Yep. Right? And then if you do the math, right? And then all of a sudden I have to take a look at my distribution. Now I might be closer to a 5% distribution. And I'm not even including tax here. And, and we know, Al, that most people's assets are where? Yeah, they're well, they're in retirement in, accounts. In retirement accounts. 401k, IRA. You got it. So now I have to pay another 15, 25, 30, whatever percent tax on top of that. Now that 5% distribution is creeping up to maybe five and a half, six. So one year I'm at four, the next year I'm at six in one year. Right. Right? That's where people freak out because it's like, wow. And I would say most people don't necessarily understand that their 4% distribution just jumped to six. And if they continue with that distribution, they're going to run out of money. Right? Correct. So what you, you have to look at the what is the appropriate strategy on how to create the retirement income? What assets are you going to sell? What assets are you? And then plus you still have to rebalance the account. You still have to tax manage the account. Right? So there's a lot more to this than just saying pull four percent out of your overall portfolio per year and you're going to be just fine yeah. because that is not the case. Yeah, and Joe, in your example, so both stocks and bonds are down. Stocks are down. As you say, 20% bonds, 10% because you pulled money out. So you're still going to have excess bonds compared to stocks because the stock market is down. So rebalancing means you're actually going to take some of your bonds and buy stocks while the market's down. But our emotions tell us to do just the opposite, All right, it? so let's keep going with that, right? So now I'm going to take my bonds out. 
sell more bonds mm-hmm. to buy more stocks. Yes. So then the next year I'm going to pull forty two thousand dollars out on a lesser dollar figure yes. in the bonds. Yes. If you if you keep the four percent, you right. got it right. Mm-hmm. So then what's going to happen to that bond portfolio? Yeah, now that's going to start to decrease as well. Exactly. And if the market goes down again next year, you're doing the same thing all over again. So that so let's talk, what are solutions? Let's talk solutions. Well, let's just continue on with the discussion, is that I think people don't understand what's going on with this, right? Okay. Because we've been in, 10,000 baby boomers, right, are turning 65 every single day, right, for the next 13 years. Right. We've had a bull market since 2009. So we've had up markets. All these retirees are pulling money out of their portfolio and feeling like, hey, this is okay. You have to map this thing out. The first thing that people need to do is that they have to, first of all, take a look at the inflows and outflows and really what the overall goal is of the money. Okay, So you have to look at what is your fixed income sources? What is that number? Is What is your Social Security benefits going to look like? Do you have pensions? Are you going to continue to work? I mean, this is where planning really comes into play, right? Then it's looking at, okay, well, your Social Security benefits. You need to maximize the amount of money that you are receiving from Social Security because that is going to be a large fixed income for you that's guaranteed by the federal government. The larger that benefit is, the less money that you're going to be pulling out from the overall portfolio. 4% rule is a great rule when you accumulate wealth, but it means nothing when you start taking distributions and you have to realize that. Taxes are also such a huge component here because if everything's in a retirement account and it's going to be taxed at ordinary income rates, okay, then you have to pull out more money to pay the tax. And in down markets, you're going, right? So you're just losing, you're going to continue to have that portfolio deteriorate, deteriorate because of A, your income needs, inflation, and taxes. I think people hear all of that, but those are just buzzwords. You have to put it into practice in your specific situation so you truly understand the risks that you're facing in retirement. You do, Joe. And, and I think a lot of people, they do hear those things, but they it's like, well, what, what the heck do we do? And I do want to sort of go into some thoughts and solutions in uh, a few, um, you know, maybe next segment. But the thing is, when you're talking taxes, this is where a lot of people really miss out. As you said, this this example, your four percent distribution first year, maybe six percent the second year, because your your portfolio is down. But maybe that's seven or eight percent when you got to pull out money for taxes, because this is all not tax free. And so people end up uh, losing a lot of money and and increasing their risk, I, I should say, of running out of money in retirement because they don't believe they have any control over their taxes. But the truth is, you do have control over your taxes in retirement. More more so than any other time in your life. You're probably not getting this advice from your current advisor because it's uh, it's not really what they do. Your your investment advisor's helping you try to increase your portfolio. Your accountant's trying to save you taxes for this year, or more importantly, last year. But there's a way to figure this out. It's by having a tax-efficient, forward-looking strategy. All right, we got to take a break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 AFMB. Welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson, Big Al. Welcome back. Hey, um, looking at ways to create income. We talked um, in the opening of the show that uh, reverse mortgages are kind of making a turn here. Well, they are, Joe, and, and it's partly because there's been some recent law changes that took away kind of a lot of the abuses that were in some of the older uh, uh, reverse mortgages, such as the very high fees. The fees are lower than they used to be in these reverse mortgages. And another thing, and this would happen from time to time, an older uh, person, we'll call it the, the male, probably that's probably more common, marries a younger gal, 
he passes away. The reverse mortgage, he's over 62. The reverse mortgage is in his name. She's younger than 62. He passes away. And it's, it's since the note is in his name, the home, the home has to be sold, even though she's still alive. So that's one of the biggest horrible things about them. And they've changed that so that now when uh, the, the, there's an older and younger spouse, the younger spouse doesn't necessarily have to move out if they don't want to. You know, um, it, it has to be your primary residence, though. It sure does. And so they check on you. Yeah. And there's been some still... Um, some abuse a little bit. Yeah, I heard that too. Some of those uh, banks are they're they're checking on you a mu- each Daily. month or or a couple times a week is what I heard. Hey, are Frank, you, are you still there? Are you still living here? <laughs> yeah, then I'm gonna charge you 500 bucks for my time. Yeah, you know? right for the little audit to make sure you're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Joe, to continue on our discussion about if you retire and you're trying to pull money out of your uh, accounts and the market goes way down, a reverse mortgage actually is yet another. Another potential solution to this. In other words, if you have a, 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 a line of credit in your, home, your, your reverse mortgage, which is allowed, you don't necessarily have to borrow all the money, or you don't necessarily have to have a fixed payment stream, you can have a line of credit. And you could actually pull out of that reverse mortgage in the years where the market's down so that you're not taking from your portfolio at the wrong times. It's, it's, it's something that not a, a lot of advisors have talked about, mainly because the reverse mortgages have not, in the past, they've not been that great, but they're really starting to look a little bit better, Joe. Here, here's nine surprises ways to use a reverse mortgage. This is by Mary Beth Franklin from Investment News. She's been on this show uh, many times before. Um, and so I'll just kind of rattle some of the stuff off, Alan. We can kind of comment on it. Yeah. Uh, number one was paying off an existing mortgage. Uh, so you can use a lump sum from a reverse mortgage to pay off a traditional mortgage balance. And then uh, guess what happens to your cash flow? It increases your cash flow. Yeah, because you don't have a mortgage payment anymore. Exactly. Yep. So then, hey, that 1200 bucks that you're paying to the mortgage, now that $1,200 can be used for other goods and services. Right. So that might be an option. Yes. Because a lot of individuals, unfortunately, are going to have to use the home equity some shape or form. They're either going to have to sell and significantly downsize. Yes. Right. Well, particularly in Southern California, Joe, where, where homes are expensive and, and the lifestyle is high. Uh, replace a home equity line of credit. So unlike a uh, HELOC or home equity line of credit, a reverse mortgage can never be reduced, frozen, or canceled. And there are no monthly loan repayment requirements. A reverse mortgage is not due until the borrowers sell the home, move out permanently, or die. Yeah, typical home equity loan, they, they may go for 10 years or 20 years or whatever, but uh, first of all, the bank can freeze them anytime they anytime, want. Well, the credit crisis, we saw that often. Sure did. They did it on mine. In, in 2008, they froze the credit line. And the second thing is, if you're retired without a lot of good fixed income, then they can say, well, you don't qualify anymore <coughs> income-wise. Reverse right. mortgage, no, there's no income qualification. Yeah, now I'm retired. I don't necessarily have the a paycheck, right. if you will, from an employer. So they're saying, well, no, you don't qualify. Right. Uh, protect your portfolio. This is what Alan was just talking about. Should your portfolio decrease? Decline significantly in value, you can borrow from the line of credit for your needs, then repay the loan when your portfolio recovers. Uh, so this is John uh, Slater, uh, Associate Professor of Personal Financial Planning at Texas Tech University. He's pretty good at these. Um, I watched a webinar with Mr. John. Nice. Uh, all right, so how about fund future long-term care or income needs? Yeah, that's a good one. I think a lot of people end up selling their home to pay for long-term care. But what if one spouse needs long-term care and the other one wants to live in the home? Right? There's an option. You can get a reverse mortgage and use those funds for the long-term care. With a home worth $625,000, their initial line of credit at current interest rates would be about $327,000, according to Tom Dickinson, founder of the Financial Experts Network. Left untouched, 
the equity line would be worth $613,000 in 10 years and 1.2 roughly in 20 years. So you have a house with $625,000. I would imagine most of our listeners' home value is probably worth $625,000 or more. So let's say if you do a re, uh, reverse mortgage and you get a line of credit, it's a HECM it's called, So and that's going to continue to grow for you. Right? So as this is saying, a home worth 625000 bucks with interest rates right now, you could pull $327,000 out of the home. Right, And then if you don't touch it, the equity line would be worth six hundred grand in 10 years. So it grows. It grows. As, well, over time if you need more money. So then that, and it's all tax-free right. because it's a loan. Correct. You're not necessarily tapping in, right? It's a loan, so you don't necessarily have to pay it back. Um, create a social security bridge. This is another great like strategy. Yeah, I like this one. So what this means is that now you take out a reverse mortgage or start living off of some of the equity within your home. You don't pull out your social security benefits, right? You delay your social security benefits because as you know or may not know, you get an 8% delayed retirement credit. So that 8% continues to grow for you. Now you're still covering your income needs with a fixed income that's tax-free through the reverse mortgage. So now, all right, so you're bridging Social Security. So then when you turn 70, you have a lot larger benefit, 133% larger than if you would take it um, at full retirement age, an 8% increase per year. It's yeah, not a big deal. Social Security will last your lifetime. So think about that because we're living longer. It's kind of almost like longevity insurance, if you will. Right. So manage taxes. This is a big one, Alan. So a reverse mortgages are tax-free. So when you tap into that reverse mortgage, can de- decrease withdrawals from, let's say, taxable retirement accounts, reducing income taxes, and then uh, the amount of Social Security benefits that are going to be subject to tax. Because the reverse mortgage or the income that you receive from your line of credit, that's not going to be included in provisional income. And then the best strategy, too, I think, in my in just my opinion, is that, all right, now I'm going to delay Social Security benefits, but I still need income. So I'll take a reverse mortgage, live up the reverse mortgage, and then at the same time, I'm going to do Roth IRA conversions. Right, because you're in a low bracket because you, you don't have a lot of income. In other words, you're not necessarily pulling out of your retirement accounts. Now, this, this works best if you're younger than 70 and a half with your required distributions. But if you're in your 70s, you can still do this. Right. you got to be at least 62. Right, to get the biggest bang out of your buck. So let's say 62 to 70, or right. maybe I'm 66 to 70. You know, you have a four or five year strategy doing this. Just you, I guess we're not promote. I mean, we don't sell reverse mortgages, but what we are promoting is the, uh, a different way to look at things. How do you maximize your total net worth to make sure that you can get everything that you want from an income source? And then at the end of the day, too, if you still want to give X to the kids, grandkids, charities, or whatever, you run the plan and figure out what is the best way to do all of this. In some cases, a reverse mortgage might make a ton of sense. Some cases, it might not. We're just throwing out options. Yeah, and I think I think the old advice that a lot of financial planners have given is reverse mortgages are kind of only there for a kind of a last resort. But what we're saying is they're better now. They're, they've got better features. They don't have all the same fees and egregious provisions. So it, I'm not saying it's, it's for everybody, but it's, it's worth a look in more cases than you would think. And taxes are a big part of that, Joe, because if you can use a reverse mortgage to minimize your taxes and allow you to do Roth conversions, because you need something to live off of, right? But you could live off of the reverse mortgage while you do Roth conversions, get that money into a tax-free environment, paying tax, but at low brackets, oh man, then all of a sudden throughout retirement, you're paying less taxes because the truth is taxes don't stop when your paycheck does. In fact, when you when you tap your nest egg, it comes with all sorts of new rules and opportunities. Instead of contributing 
to tax-deferred plans that reduce your taxes. You'll start tapping those for savings for income and paying taxes at your regular rate, unless you're tapping into a Roth IRA. So as you near retirement, tax planning becomes more important than ever, but you must use a forward-thinking tax strategy. You have more control over paying taxes in your retirement, more so than you think, actually more than any other time in your life. All right, we got to take a break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll be back in just a second. Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson, Big Al. Welcome back. Hey, um, looking at ways to create income, we talked um, in the opening of the show that uh, reverse mortgages are kind of making a turn here. Well, they are, Joe, and, and it's partly because there's been some recent law changes that took away kind of a lot of the abuses that were in some of the older uh, uh, reverse mortgages, such as the very high fees. The fees are lower than they used to be in these reverse mortgages. And another thing, and this would happen from time to time, an older uh, person, we'll call it the, the male, probably that's probably more common, marries a younger gal. He passes away. The reverse mortgage, he's over 62. The reverse mortgage is in his name. She's younger than 62. He passes away. And it's, it's since the note is in his name, the home, the home has to be sold, even though she's still alive. So that's one of the biggest horrible things about them. And they've changed that so that now when uh, the, the, there's an older and younger spouse, the younger spouse doesn't necessarily have to move out if they don't want to. You know, um, it, it has to be your primary residence, though. It sure does. And so they check on you. Yeah. And there's been some still... Um, some abuse a little bit. Yeah, I heard that too. Some of those uh, banks are they're they're checking on you each Daily. month or or a couple times a week is what I heard. Hey, are Frank, you, are you still there? Are you still living here? <laughs> yeah, then I'm gonna charge you 500 bucks for my time. Yeah, you know? right for the little audit to make sure you're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Joe, to continue on our discussion about if you retire and you're trying to pull money out of your uh, accounts and the market goes way down, a reverse mortgage actually is yet another another potential solution to this. In other words, if you have a, 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 a line of credit in your, home, your, your reverse mortgage, which is allowed, you don't necessarily have to borrow all the money, or you don't necessarily have to have a fixed payment stream, you can have a line of credit. And you could actually pull out of that reverse mortgage in the years where the market's down so that you're not taking from your portfolio at the wrong times. It's, it's, it's something that not a, a lot of advisors have talked about, mainly because the reverse mortgages have not, in the past, they've not been that great, but they're really starting to look a little bit better, Joe. Here, here's nine surprising ways to use a reverse mortgage. This is by Mary Beth Franklin from Investment News. She's been on this show uh, many times before. Um, and so I'll just kind of rattle some of the stuff off, Alan. We can kind of comment on it. Yeah. Uh, number one was paying off an existing mortgage. Uh, so you can use a lump sum from a reverse mortgage to pay off a traditional mortgage balance. And then uh, guess what happens to your cash flow? It increases your cash flow. Yeah, because you don't have a mortgage payment anymore. Exactly. Yep. So then, hey, that 1200 bucks that you're paying to the mortgage, now that $1,200 can be used for other goods and services. Right. So that might be an option. Yes. Because a lot of individuals, unfortunately, are going to have to use the home equity some shape or form. They're either going to have to sell and significantly downsize. Yes. Right. Well, particularly in Southern California, Joe, where, where homes are expensive and, and the lifestyle is high. 
replace a home equity line of credit. So unlike a uh, HELOC or home equity line of credit, a reverse mortgage can never be reduced, frozen, or canceled. And there are no monthly loan repayment requirements. A reverse mortgage is not due until the borrowers sell the home, move out permanently, or die. Yeah, a typical home equity loan, they, they may go for 10 years or 20 years or whatever, but uh, first of all, the bank can freeze them anytime they anytime. want. Well, the credit crisis, we saw that often. Sure did. They did it on mine. In, in 2008, they froze the credit line. And the second thing is, if you're retired without a lot of good fixed income, then they can say, well, you don't qualify anymore, <coughs> income-wise. Reverse right. mortgage, no, there's no income qualification. Yeah, now I'm retired. I don't necessarily have the a paycheck, right. if you will, from an employer. So they're saying, well, no, you don't qualify. Right. Uh, protect your portfolio. This is what Alan was just talking about. Should your portfolio decline significantly in value, you can borrow from the line of credit for your needs, then repay the loan when your portfolio recovers. Uh, so this is John uh, Slater. Uh, Associate Professor of Personal Financial Planning at Texas Tech University. He's pretty good at these. Um, I watched a webinar with Mr. John. Nice. Uh, all right, so how about fund future long-term care or income needs? Yeah, that's a good one. I think a lot of people end up selling their home to pay for long-term care, but what if one spouse needs long-term care and the other one wants to live in the home, right? There's an option. You can get a reverse mortgage and use those funds for the long-term care. With a home worth $625,000, their initial line of credit at current interest rates would be about $327,000, according to Tom Dickinson, founder of the Financial Experts Network. Left untouched, the equity line would be worth $613,000 in 10 years and 1.2 roughly in 20 years. So you have a house worth $625,000. I would imagine most of our listeners' home value is probably worth $625,000 or more. So let's say if you do a re, uh, reverse mortgage and you get a line of credit, it's a HECM, it's called. So and that's going to continue to grow for you, right? So as this is saying, a home worth six hundred twenty-five thousand bucks, with interest rates right now, you could pull three hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars out of the home, right? And then if you don't touch it, the equity line would be worth six hundred grand in ten years. So it grows. It grows as, well, over time if you need more money. So then that, and it's all tax-free right. because it's a loan. Correct. You're not necessarily tapping in, right? It's a loan, so you don't necessarily have to pay it back. Um, create a social security bridge. This is another great I like strategy. Yeah, I like this one. So what this means is that now you take out a reverse mortgage or start living off of some of the equity within your home. You don't pull out your social security benefits, right? You delay your social security benefits because as you know or may not know, you get an 8% delayed retirement credit. So that 8% continues to grow for you. Now you're still covering your income needs with a fixed income that's tax-free through the reverse mortgage. So now, all right, so you're bridging Social Security. So then when you turn 70, you have a lot larger benefit, 133% larger than if you would take it um, at full retirement age, an 8% increase per year. It's yeah, a big deal. And Social Security will last your lifetime. So think about that because we're living longer. It's kind of almost like longevity insurance, if you will. Right. So manage taxes. This is a big one, Alan. So reverse mortgages are tax-free. So when you tap into that reverse mortgage, can de decrease withdrawals from, let's say, taxable retirement accounts, reducing income taxes, and then uh, the amount of Social Security benefits that are going to be subject to tax. Because the reverse mortgage or the income that you receive from your line of credit, that's not going to be included in provisional income. And then the best strategy, too, I think, in my in just my opinion, is that, all right, now I'm going to delay Social Security benefits, but I still need income. So I'll take a reverse mortgage, live up the reverse mortgage, and then at the same time, I'm going to do Roth IRA conversions. Right, because you're in a low bracket because... 
you, you don't have a lot of income. In other words, you're not necessarily pulling out of your retirement accounts. Now, this, this works best if you're younger than 70 and a half with your required distributions. But if you're in your 70s, you can still do this. Right. you got to be at least 62 right, to get the biggest bang out of your buck. So let's say 62 to 70. Or right. maybe I'm 66 to 70. You know, you have a four or five year strategy doing this. Just you, I guess we're not promoting. I mean, we don't sell reverse mortgages. But what we are promoting is the, a, a different way to look at things. How do you maximize your total net worth to make sure that you can get everything that you want from an income source? And then at the end of the day, too, if you still want to give X to the kids, grandkids, charities or whatever, you run the plan and figure out what is the best way to do all of this. In some cases, a reverse mortgage might make a ton of sense. Some cases, it might not. We're just throwing out options. Yeah, and I think I think the old advice that a lot of financial planners have given is reverse mortgages are kind of only there for a kind of a last resort. But what we're saying is they're better now. They're, they've got better features. They don't have all the same fees and egregious provisions. So it, I'm not saying it's, it's for everybody, but it's, it's worth a look in more cases than you would think. And taxes are a big part of that, Joe, because because if you can use a reverse mortgage to minimize your taxes and allow you to do Roth conversions, because you need something to live off of, right? But you could live off of the reverse mortgage while you do Roth conversions, getting that money into a tax-free environment, paying tax, but at low brackets. Oh man, then all of a sudden throughout retirement, you're paying less taxes because the truth is taxes don't stop when your paycheck does. In fact, when you, when you tap your nest egg, it comes with all sorts of new rules and opportunities. Instead of contributing, to tax-deferred plans that reduce your taxes. You'll start tapping those for savings for income and paying taxes at your regular rate, unless you're tapping into a Roth IRA. So as you near retirement, tax planning becomes more important than ever, but you must use a forward-thinking tax strategy. You have more control over paying taxes in your retirement, more so than you think, actually more than any other time in your life. All right, got to take a break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll be back in just a second. 